Welcome to the Five Lives Podcast. And now, Tina's story. Well, I'm Tina. Um, I know a few of you, but knowing you, like Ellie said, is surface. I'm sure I don't know your story as, as you don't know my story from way back. And I've been drawn to Five Lives. I've come every time just listening to people's stories. Sometimes I would come by myself and just sit there and listen. And finally, at one of the latter meetings, I'm sitting there just listening, and I just heard a voice say, Tina, it's your turn. And I'm like, oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those of you who know me, I'm much of an introvert. I don't like being in the spotlight at all. But I am very obedient, so I am doing as I was told by the Lord, and I'm very, very grateful from where he's brought me. So this is my story when, when Ellie said, um, when it's about telling your story, so do you take part of your story, like this part of my story, or do I do that part of my story? Well, to me, my story is from the beginning to Almost the end. I won't bring you all up to the end. But it just links up to one another. It is my story. And unfortunately, my story started at a very young age. Um, I was going to read, I want to read this song to you. You may know it. But instead of playing it, because when we listen to music, sometimes we just get caught up, and especially because this is a popular song into the the tune and you just kind of sing along and you really don't pay attention to what the song's saying. So I'm just going to read this story. And the name of it's my story. Uh, Let's see. When I tell you my story, you will hear hope that wouldn't let go. And when I tell you my story, you will hear love that never gave up. And when I tell you my story, you will hear life, but it wasn't mine. When I speak, let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin, when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. When I tell you my story, you will hear victory overcome the enemy, for sure. And when I tell you my story, you will hear freedom that was won for me. And when I tell you my story, you will hear life overcome by grace. (sighs) When I speak, let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and mercy wins. So, that says a lot. The song speaks to me every time I hear it. Um, Tina, can you speak real loud? Because Gretchen's mom has a hearing aid. Okay, she sure. Doesn't, she, need, she doesn't have any hearing aid. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you need a hearing aid problem. My mom wears hearing aids and my mother-in-law needs hearing aids. <laughs> and we're recording too, so you do some time. Okay. That makes it even harder, but I'll try. I'll try. All right, so my story begins. Um, I was born in Illinois, Joliet, 
My parents were married for nine years after that. They got divorced. So my brother was nine. I have an older brother. I was five, and my sister was two. Um, at that time, my mom took the girls, and she found it best at that time. It's all she knew. She felt it was best my brother stayed with my dad. Um, he was a little rebellious at that time, and she really felt like he needed a father figure. So she did what she thought was the right, best thing. So she took us girls, and she moved us into uh, an apartment complex, which I would, um, I would say is maybe equivalent to something like a Section 8 apartment complex type thing. And she worked two jobs. She was a bartender and a waitress, um, just to support me and my sister. But when she went, she really didn't have anyone to leave us with. So it was kind of like whoever was the nearest neighbor in that complex is who kept us. You can imagine wasn't the best of people. Um, I think the Lord just uh, blessed me with me having no recollection of that. And even more weird to me is I have no recollection of my parents ever being married. So for those nine years, I don't remember us as a family, ever. And my sister can remember everything, and she was a little one, but I don't. Um, so I do think there's a reason the Lord protected me from certain memories in that complex. We stayed there for maybe six months, and my mom just couldn't make ends meet. Um, so she moved here, where her mother lived. And she brought us, me and my sister. And unfortunately, we moved in with her mother and um, my grandmother and my step-grandfather, who was a very mean, mean man. Um, my mom worked, again, as a bartender here. And my grandmother worked. And we were left with, that was his name. So at that point, I was five and a half, maybe, five and a half. My sister was two, two and a half. So during that time, um, he totally took advantage of the situation and molested me. And as far as I know, my sister, thank you, Jesus, wasn't touched because she was so little. Um, and that went on for a while. And I knew no better. I mean, my mom, she had a really tough, abusive life. And I think that's all she knew was norm, as the norm. Finally, I, I recognized that something wasn't right. And um, I told my mom and I told my grandma. And my grandmother said that I was lying. And my mom took little cheap hotel on Airline Highway. I, I can remember it vividly. And um, we stayed there one night, and she's like, girls, I, I just, we don't have the money. And I really, I was just kind of flatlined. We, we just weren't a very connected, emotional family. My mother was not maternal. And let me preface this for those who know my mother now. She's not the same mother I'll be talking about at all. 
she's been born again, she loves the Lord, so she is, that's an old, old person. Um, but at that time, the one thing she, she told me that has stuck with me through all these years was, it's okay, it's going to be okay. That happens to almost every girl at some point in their life. So I think from that, I took that as, okay, don't, like, it's okay. You know, it's not a big deal. Don't make a big deal out of it. It's, it's just okay. Take, take it, you know? So we went back, stayed a little while, um, maybe six months more. And in that time, my uncle came in, and he was withdrawn from heroin, and we just had to watch him go through that, you know, withdrawals and... And still was such a mean man. I mean, he would put these bugs in my bed. Um, oh, he was just terrible. Real bugs? They were dead. Oh. But they were big. Um, I remember being big. And I remember not too long ago, before Taylor got married, he, my kids, of course, don't know. And he came in with the same bug, and it was dead. And I just freaked out. And he didn't know what to do. He was just like, you know, mom, mom. And then Todd told him, it's okay, Taylor. Just, you know, mom has, just go, leave her, leave her alone. But, um, so my mom finally met, um, an older gentleman at the bar, um, Mr. Jim, who she introduced us to. He was 17 years older than my mom, um, but he was one of our saviors, as I referred to him. Um, at first, I definitely didn't trust him. Uh, I didn't trust people for a long time and still have issues with that. But um, after a few months, he moved us out me, my mom, and my sister, he moved us into a little trailer that we lived in, a little trailer park off Jefferson Highway. Lived in a little bitty trailer and had our own, me and my sister had our own little room with bunk beds and unfortunately you open the window and there's a drive-in theater with played all X-rated movies. That was it. <laughs> with my luck, I'm like, okay. Um, and at that time, my mom drank. She drank a lot. Um, and Mr. Jim drank. So we, we, were, we had our keys, me and my sister, you know, that we wore. And they would go out, and we'd come in and out, let ourselves in and out the house. How old were you at this time? Um, I was probably around eight. Eight. Eight or nine. More like eight. My age is maybe off some. But she would come home late with Mr. Jim, who was drunk. But my mom, when she got drunk, she got drunk bad, like all the time. So she would go through all the stages of drinking. She'd be happy. Then she'd run down the street. Then she'd hide. Um, then she would get to the crying stage, the sad, sad, you know, the crying thing. 
And then, ultimately, she'd end up by the toilet. But during her crying stage, the only person she wanted was me. And so she would always cry out for Tina. Tina, Tina, you know? And so I'd sit by the toilet with her, hold her hand, and just listen to her talk and talk and talk. So that was at eight. So from five to eight to whatever, um, we lived there a little while longer. And things were just difficult because they were still drinking. And it was the same scenario over and over with the drinking, with her wanting just me. For some reason, she still wants me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... After a while, we moved into a bigger trailer. Ooh. We advanced, <laughs> moved up a little bit. Yeah, we the huh? Yeah, we yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, so we moved into a double wide, which we thought was a palace, <laughs> and things started to go a little better there. Things started to get better there. Um, after a year, they closed down that trailer park, so we had to find some place to live. And I'm gonna, all of this is linked together, I know, because I'm gonna go all the way up to Anna Donahue. And she probably does not even remember by the time I get to this point. Um, so I moved into our first home, home on land <laughs> at 12. I think it was around 12. Um, and that's when I was introduced to marijuana, pot. I'm just gonna go ahead and say pot, make it short. Um, so from the time I was 12, forever, I smoked forever. But at that point, I just believe it was just self-medicating. It was just total self-medicating, forget, just. And at 12 is when people, boys started to notice me. Well, like I said, my mother was never maternal. She never really talked to me about anything, like what love is, what love was, or um, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. She just was not, there was no connection. She was very disconnected. So it was more or less we were left on our own. So at 12, the boys started to notice me, and not knowing, I, I thought, well, gosh, this must be what love is. You know, they really, they talk to me, they, they listen to me, they like me, this must, this must be love. And when all along, they were just taking advantage of my brokenness, but I didn't know that then. Um, I knew no better. So, continued smoking. Smoking was a big factor in my life. Um, went to school, seventh grade. I don't even know if Lisa knows. She was at the school with me. You went to school with you. Roosevelt. We So, I don't even know if you remembered or heard of this story, but I felt like everyone in that school knew after it happened. Um, a teacher had asked me to stay after school to help, help with something um, he needed help with. And I was very obedient. 
and respectful of my elders, and I was like, yes, sir. So I stayed after. And before, before I even could know what was going on, he had raised my shirt up and my bra, and it was almost as if, like, um, Todd knows everything. Um, Her husband. Yeah, my husband knows everything, and of course I've been through counseling. Um, I just kind of, I know people think, like, didn't you know any better? Like, how could you do that? But it was so much deeper than that. It was almost like I just blanked out, like, just totally blanked out. And, like, came, just, like, minutes later came, too. And I just remember running, running, running out of that school, all the way through that breezeway, running. And I ran, found a phone, called my mom, who called the police, um, came to our house. And during this, I'm like, why, why is this happening? Like, why me? What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? You know, why is this that people keep doing this to me? The police came over and asked if I wanted to file a report, um, which I did at that time. Well, they wanted me to meet with the school board. So here I am, a 12-year-old little girl. I mean, think back on these ages as I see kids now, I'm thinking five years old, eight years old, 12 years old, being brought into this huge conference room, you know, with a big table and all these, uh, the board, school board sitting around there and me having to tell my story. And I'm very quiet, very very quiet. I really never had a voice. I just didn't have a voice. I had nothing to say. Um, so they would ask me questions like, what were you wearing? Um, were you attracted to him in any way? Like all these questions, like I, I really had no answer. I really didn't understand what they were saying. And they must have talked to my parents, and after I got home, my mom and Mr. Jim, who was, he was my father after that. He took me and my sister like we were his own. Um, he said, Tina, you, they've given us two choices. They've given you two choices. You can make the decision to have him put in jail. And... They did say he's married. He has two young children. He was a photographer, so there, there was a fear that he took pictures. Um, or you can make the decision to <clears throat> have him fired and never rehired in the school system again. And back then, I, I never knew. I just never. There's so many things I never knew that no one ever talked to me about that there was even a possibility that, even though he got fired, he would still be out there with other little girls. All I kept thinking was, oh God, I don't want to ruin this family. You know, this is such a big decision to make. Like, I really didn't know. All I knew was I don't, didn't want to hurt people. Like, I just don't want to hurt people in general. So I chose to have him fired. 
and put out of the school system. So that just really led to me getting um, deeper into the drugs, more and more into the drugs, um, self-medicating more. Uh, I met my first real boyfriend at 14. Someone who I thought really, really, and he did, he really loved me. I, I felt like that was what real love was supposed to feel like. Well, by 16, we were engaged. 17, we were married. My mom signed off on it. And through those three, I was married three years from 17 to 20. Um, cocaine, pot, and things just got worse. We lived in a trailer, too. <laughs> so after the three years, there was it only took one time for him to hit me, and that was it. It was just like, okay, that's it. This is not what I want for my life. Um, so I left, and I went back home, and I figured I didn't want to live back home. That's not what I wanted. Got a job, lived by myself um, for a while. Then I ended up meeting Todd. So now we're going into a whole different chapter of my life. Um, I met my husband, um, who was everything I wasn't. Um, he was in college. He was smart. He was funny. He was outgoing. Um, he didn't smoke, you know, he didn't do drugs. And I felt like, gosh, so unworthy, you know, so unworthy. Here I was a high school graduate, still smoking pot. I'm 20-something years old, I smoke daily. Um, very much an introvert, very much an introvert. Still didn't really talk that much. Um, turned him down quite a few times. He tried to pursue me. And finally, at a parade one day, I saw him. He marched in those flower parades. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I told my sister, and she, I said, that's that guy that, that keeps calling me. So she pushed me straight up like this to his face. And he's like, Hi. <laughs> And I'm like, hi. <laughs> so I did agree to go on a date with him. So long story short there, we lived together for three years. Um, we didn't know the Lord. We just moved in together out of convenience. Um, he wanted out of his house. I needed rent money. So out of convenience, it worked. So for three years, we lived together. We partied together. He, he drank. He did not smoke. I continued to smoke forever. Um, after three years, we got married. Um, and we were still partying, you know. We still didn't know the Lord. And I guess I, I still never came to terms with anything. I just continued to self-medicate throughout everything. And... Um, and then I went to the doctor for a regular visit, and I found out I was pregnant. 
So I came out. I didn't know I was pregnant. I had no idea. Came out, got in the car with Todd, and I'm like, I'm pregnant. And we just both kind of looked at each other, and we just drove around. We didn't say anything. But the minute I got home was the minute I flushed the rest of what I had. So I was 26, so I had been smoking for 14 years straight. So I beg to differ with anyone who says that smoking marijuana is not addictive, because it is. Um, that I flushed it then, and God delivered me that second. And it doesn't always happen that way, but for me it did. I never had a desire from that day forward. Never, never. And there's still family members that still smoke. And I can sit around a table with them, and I, it's not my place to judge them, but I can sit around a table with them, doing their thing, talking, talking to them, talking about Jesus, they know, and have no desire, none whatsoever. Um... So then Todd and I, we have Taylor. He was probably a year old, and we just really felt something was missing in our lives. And someone invited us to a play at church um, at Victory. So we went to the play, and Todd left there saying, gosh, there's just something different, something different there. So the following Sunday, we went back. Well, there's Todd. He's going up to the altar call. He's just <laughs> running up there. And here I am in my seat going, I can receive, I can do it right here. I don't have to go up there in front of all those people. <laughs> um, so that's when, in 1991, is when we accepted the Lord. We jumped, we just dove right in with Bible studies, leading them uh, women's groups, mother's groups, all our babies, and, and I just tried so hard to fit in. Just no one knew that I was trying so hard because nobody knew my past except me. And I, I was just trying to dress like them and, and wear my hair like them and be like them so they couldn't see the real me, you know? Because I felt like if they saw the real me, or knew the real me, then I would be rejected, you know? And I just felt like I was wearing this mask for nine years that went on. And towards the last couple, I, got, I became really, really depressed. Like, clinically depressed, and just anxiety overtook me, and... No one knew it except for Todd. Um, it's as if I felt like, you know, I had leprosy. And like I would have to proclaim myself unclean if people knew. Um, then Anna had, she had a retreat. She was having a retreat. And oh God, that was the last thing I felt like doing at that point. But I went. Obediently, I went. My friend Tracy invited me, and she said, come on. I went with her, fitting right in, following right along. Back, back then, we didn't have worship, big worship teams and stuff like that. It was just, we were at the hotel, and Anna preached, and then um, 
the, we just close the lights, turn the lights off. We just, and just totally just worship, walked around. Well, before I even could almost lift my hands, I was on the floor. And there were no catchers, there's nothing, <laughs> nobody <laughs> there. And I don't remember a thing of it except just groaning, just groaning, these tears of pain and sorrow and hurts and things stuffed in there for so long. Um, I was just flat, and every time I tried to raise my shoulders, I couldn't even lift them off. I, I physically felt like I was going to, but I was held I was being held down. I know it was God cleansing me, just trying to get all of that out of me. Um, and I cried and groaned for so long that my friend Tracy had to go get Anna. She physically went and got Anna. And I can remember vividly Anna kneeling down, dark in the darkness, as sweet as she is, everyone who knows her, her voice. And I remember her just putting her hand on me, just so softly as a picture of Jesus. And she's like, what do you need prayer for? Tina, what, what do you need prayer for? And I told her I needed restoration and I needed deliverance prayer. And she prayed for me. And when I say I cried, I mean, I literally, I. I could not open my eye like they were like teeny tiny a slit like that big they had to go get ice packs for me and everyone else was gone and Anna came and took me out and and I'm still crying so hard and I'm like Anna I said am I having a nervous breakdown you know am I having a nervous breakdown right now and she said, she'll never remember this. She said, no, honey, you're having a breakthrough. In oh, those words, when she said that, it was like everything. It was gone. It was just like, I was like, all of it was gone. Like the Lord has totally restored me from that time restored me, just changed, made beauty out of ashes, as he says, and just clothed me in white, and I just felt like a totally new person, other than my eyes. <laughs> I mean, literally the next day, they even had to call Todd, they went and called Todd to come get me, and I said, no, I wanted to stay, and, um, so I stayed, and then I went back home. And Todd had this big old welcome home sign in the front yard. <laughs> um, but I don't even think Anna knows. I know she doesn't. She can't. The impact that that had on me, that one sentence, you know, that one sentence. And... Um, you know, even I told Todd, even talking about this today, going back to what my mom said about, you know, Tina, that happens to almost, you know, all, all girls at one point in their life. 
And I think that's why I carried that with me through the years, like as if it were normal. You know, it was the norm. You know, I don't make a big deal out of it, you know? But then I, I finally learned that, that that's not the norm. You know, that's not what God intended. That's not, that wasn't love. You know, that's, that's not the love of Christ. That's not what he's talking about. So um, from that point on, um, we, just, we just served the Lord. And I never wanted children. I never did because I really didn't know how I would mother them because I didn't have that maternal instinct. I mean, no affection, no physical touch, no words of affirmation, um, really, just really no feeling of being loved. So I, I just figured I'd never know how to be a mom. So when my kids did come, I swore my kids will never ever feel anything but love and compassion and that they'll always know that they could come to me no matter what, no matter how old. And we always kept an open line of communication, always. Um, so the last little part, and I just, I think this was just, this was, Years after that, Taylor was a teenager. I was sent a group of girls, some teenage girls, to mentor. And they were precious. And they were so much fun. I mean, I had never had so much fun in all my life. I mean, we did silly pranks. I did silly pranks with them. I mean, things I never did. And that's when that season ended, um... It was very, very hard. It was very sad for me. It was a huge loss. But that's, at that point, I realized that I wasn't the one there to help them, that God had given me them to help me, to give me back the childhood and the youth that was stolen from me. And that's exactly how I felt when I was with them. I felt like a child. I felt like, gosh, this is what it was supposed to feel like. You know, to do all those silly things and laugh and jump around and play. And So God is just so good. I mean, his grace and mercy and the healing and the restoration that he has done in my life. And if you would have asked me, oh gosh, what my life would turn out like, I would have never thought I'd be married to an awesome man of God and have two boys who love the Lord, which I've done my job. If my kids, if they love the Lord and that's it, I've done my job, right? Right, yeah. No matter what. So, that pretty much ends up my story for now. I mean, of course, over those years, we've had trials and <clears throat> some ups and some downs. And 
I've had these three women here who've been my lifeline for the last couple years, who I don't know who I, what I would have done without. Um, so that pretty much covers my story. Um, so that was my story. And this is my song.